This is KZUM Lincoln and KZUMHD. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to How's It Growing, your weekly gardening connection right here at your favorite radio station. Hi, I'm Bob Henriksen. I'm with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. We plant Nebraska each and every day. Great plant events, plant information, all sorts of good stuff located at plantnebraska.org. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. And follow us on Facebook. And you can also follow How's It Growing on Facebook to get an update on who the upcoming guests are. Thanks to Nancy. Nancy, really appreciate your help with that. And uh, wow, folks, it's just a, a gorgeous day once again. Man, I looked, peeked ahead of the forecast this morning. <laughs> I didn't see any rain in sight for uh, the next 10 days. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, those we got a few drips last night, right? That was, that was something, <laughs> enough to tease us. Nope, nope, no rain in the forecast, so bear with it, but uh, still nice fall weather. Uh, we have a low Friday night I saw of, I think I saw 36, something like that. So yikes, huh? Here she comes. But that 36 degree low Friday, then I think mid 40 Saturday night and uh, nothing really approaching, uh, you know, freezing, uh, frost freezing uh, for, for the foreseeable future, at least for the next 10 days. So don't let that 36 degree panic you, of course, unless you have house plants or very tender things, you know. You breathe 36 degrees on basil and it's not happy or, you know, you know the drill. But uh, I wouldn't worry about covering most things out there. Maybe cover the peppers uh, just because they hate that, anything below 40. But nonetheless, nothing's going to frost out of this deal, that's for show. All right, well, thanks for tuning in today, 474-5086. If you have any questions or comments, maybe a gardening event to tell us about, uh, by all means, Give me a jingle down here at KZUM. I have Molly Femister. She is the coordinator of Southern Heights Food Forest coming on the program today. She's going to be calling in here in a little bit. So we'll talk all things fall with Molly. Always a pleasure to talk with Molly and, and uh, you know, kind of chit-chat about all the various things. You know, we're going to think we're going to talk about plant combinations or not, not combos, but basically fall blooming plants that you shouldn't live without. Do you need to put on your gardening wish list? And of course, uh, with the drought, what are we going to do to as we head into fall, later into fall and winter? Uh, maybe you have new plants. Maybe you're concerned about what should I be doing? Should I be watering? We'll talk about that. What can I do to kind of nip this drought in the bud to kind of, uh, if it, who knows, people? You don't know if how ongoing this thing's going to be. And, uh, yeah, you know, you can irrigate all you want, but uh, you need to put plans in place for, um, you know, maintaining that water when you do irrigate, right? That means mulch, mulch, mulch. <laughs> All right, let's we'll talk about that with Molly uh, when she comes on. And maybe you've been out in the countryside cruising around a little bit, fall color just starting to uh, to peak out there, or not peak, but, you know, peak its head out there. We got uh, kind of your, your ash season, your uh, white ash and green ash season right now coming on uh, in the sumac. I call it the sumac ash season, and uh, that's kind of usually the first one. Then you, you know, if you're going out to the woods right now, nothing really coloring up out there yet, but you should be planning your fall color tour right now. And one place that has to be on your fall color tour wish list is Indian Cave State Park. And uh, we were just down in that area yesterday, as a matter of fact, and the white ash is an ash tree we plant in landscapes too but that was down there in nature um the white ash is indeed native to nebraska and they get planted a lot in our communities it's the one that turns that uh, nice purple color in the fall 
And, uh, you know, it kind of has a kaleidoscope. It can be purples, little yellows in there sometimes. Um, but that gorgeous tree you see around Lincoln that colors up early is that white ash. Oh, gosh, the names, the cultivar names are escaping my brain because, you know, ash kind of gets thrown out the window now because of the emerald ash borer. Nobody's planting them anymore, but uh, we can still enjoy the ones that are here. Whatever happened to that emerald ash borer, right? Why are not all of our ash trees dead like they said they were going to happen? I don't know. I, anyway, it is what it is. <laughs> if you have one and you're concerned about it, maybe you're getting treated. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're just saying, what should I be doing about this? My take on that is I would say wait because uh, I'm not going to cut down a perfectly healthy ash tree in my yard if it's providing me all that shade. I'm going to wait and see what happens. And then if it does happen to die from emerald ash borer, by golly, I'll get a hold of that tree company. And believe you and me, the tree company will get her done. <laughs> right? All right. Well, anyway, uh, so that uh, that's going on, the fall color. And if you haven't made it out to a prairie yet this fall, man, I highly recommend that. You're running out of time as far as the peak fall color for the prairie. Uh, big blue stem, this is the time of year when it shines. Uh, the granddaddy of the prairie, big blue stem, it's that tall booger they often call turkey foot because the seed heads kind of look like a turkey's foot if you squint a little. But uh, that in Indian grass out on the prairies right now, at least the tall grass prairies, uh, looking great. Little blue stem starting to show its fall color as well, that nice russet red color. Uh, so this is when our September grasses, well, of course, going into October now, really shine. And But, again, uh, it only lasts about two to three weeks, and then, you know, the color starts to fade, and we get to more of that buff brown. And, hey, brown's a color, too, but the textures are cool. Great stop to do that. Of course, you know where to go there, and that's Spring Creek Prairie and Nine Mile Prairie right outside of Lincoln. Two great little country drives for you to get out in the country and soak in some of this fall because, by golly, we're going to blink and fall's going to be gone. Hey, do I have Molly on the line? Oh, wait, hold on. I got to do this first. There, now I bet I have Molly online. Can you hear me now, Molly? I can. I had to push one button, you know, and I, I'm like going, okay, <laughs> that does not sound good. I don't know, we have this, we have this like, the, oh, a toggle switch or whatever you want to, I don't know what it's called, but for, for the um, on-air phone, right? And I don't know, yeah. who, it's, there's this on-off button for it, and I don't understand why somebody on the board would have to turn that off ever but i have to check it every week oh okay forgot to turn that on who is turning off that button man come on people <laughs> anyway molly uh, molly southern heights food forest how are you doing we're doing great the walnuts are turning the gorgeous yellow the mm. plums are beginning to turn kind of a yellow orange mm -hmm. the there's one service berry that's in the shade of the neighbor's large maple and that one's coloring up beautifully. The others have not started turning yet. Um, but that also gets this gorgeous kind of, you know, the orange of a really healthy egg yolk? Yes. It starts heading into that zone, somewhere between there and peach. Yeah, right. I love it how, you, yeah. how you're making an analogous to some fruit, right? I always call it like pumpkin spice orange, right? You know? Pumpkin spice orange. <laughs> you there know? you go. Now, either way, it's a nice fiery fall color. And, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and you know, it, uh, sometimes it's not consistent. I suppose it's depending on why you're seeing it in the shade versus the sun is kind of a head scratcher, right? But, uh, hey. Uh, well, because the tree is just getting less food. That was always in the shade. Yeah. So it's, 
it's getting less sun. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point. You know, I was talking, I don't know if you're listening in, but, uh, you know, I call this the sumac ash part of fall, you know, the, like mm-hmm. who, who's first, right? And it's usually those two. <laughs> but I think uh, adding a few more, you know, to your landscape, folks, for that early season fall color is a good thing. You know, we all love late season fall color, but that, that, that first thing to color up. And I would put the Juneberry service berry right in there with it, wouldn't you, Molly? Juneberry service berry is early and black gum, which I don't see oh, much yeah. of in Nebraska, but what a gorgeous red mm. fall and early fall color. Yes. Black gum is a lovely tree. It is and a lovely tree. And cousin sweet gum mm-hmm. is one of the best fall colors out there. That's right up there with sugar maples and the ashes in terms of doing the red, the yellow, the green all at once on mm. the same tree. I'm with you. And uh, that sweet gum, both of them we can grow here. Sometimes folks are not as easy to find or locate, you know, um, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep asking for it because us consumers create the demand. And if we keep asking for it, pretty soon that nursery is mm-hmm. going to carry it. But yeah, um, yeah, no doubt. And, and we have enough uh, here in Lincoln that I can think of off the top of my head, not a great at number, but I can think of a few nice black gums that I bumped into and uh, one in the Kime Courtyard right on UNL campus, as a matter of fact. And, I should and, come see it. Yeah, you know, it's not coloring up yet, you know, but um, mm. I have actually gotten... Oh, yeah, Courtyard. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. gotten a seed off of that tree before and grew some nice seedlings and I check it every fall and I haven't seed since... The, haven't seed seen seed if i can spit this out <laughs> seen seed <laughs> on that baby for gosh five six years now so it uh, i'm waiting and uh, giving me that chance to grow it again yeah it was easy to grow but you know those seedlings certainly don't grow very fast i think it's a type of plant that puts down some serious roots right the first several years and yeah. then, then starts to get it going pretty quickly after that but yeah after that exactly yeah yeah exactly and a lot of these, I know people are like, wait, we're on the prairie. Why are you guys pushing trees? And it's like, well, part of it is we live in a city, right. which means we have a lot of paved area. The paved area heats up a lot, so we need more trees to shade. Otherwise, we're going to, Lincoln will easily be 10 degrees hotter than the surrounding territory. But Amen. also, we have all that pavement, which means all that rain is running off somewhere. And if we can catch it, if you're gutter instead of going from your downspout to a tube out onto your driveway and down into the street could actually be sent out into your yard far enough from your foundation that it's not messing with the foundation at all but if it could be sent out into the yards a little bit and sink in there and then actually have some decent carbon in the soil to catch and hold the water we really do have enough water in lincoln to grow trees because the watershed starts on top of your house. No doubt. I agree. And yeah, which brings us to, you know, okay, gosh, that's just a nice thought saying, oh, when you're, when your downspouts fill up and, and <laughs> I'm, wait, I'm waiting for that, man. And when, when are we going to have another downpour? It feels like, uh, it feels like a, a, a distant memory, a distant dream right now, but uh, man. Oh, Lord. Yikes. I know. We just get enough to, like, knock the dust off, and then it keeps mm. going, and then a drought is just off, yeah. off and running. The yeah. cracks at the food forest are so bad, and there have been there are places there where I can put my hand in sideways. Dang. Like, it's, uh, they're unbelievably deep. We're continuing to fill them with the carbon material so that yes. when the rains come back, there's 
stuff that can turn into good soil there. So we're I, still pushing things down into the ground. That's great. But golly, what a mess. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm imagining, Molly, are you taking pictures like when you shove that, like of the crack and then, and then of the organic material you're shoving down in the crack? The reason I ask that is when, when and if we do get rain again and those, <laughs> those cracks, uh, you know, disappear and the, the soil kind of swells a little bit and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, seals them back up again, whatever. I'm curious what it's going to look like with all that stuff in there, right? Is it going to look like it's just being crushed, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. smushed, smushed in there really <laughs> tight. And then another curiosity is, well, then when it, that does happen and we get back to normal rainfall, whenever that is, um, you know, how long will it take them for them to decompose? I think, just think it's going to be kind of fun to find out. And it's going to be fun to find out. Yeah. I think it's going to be a couple years. I don't think I'll be able to see the process very much. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to break stuff off low enough. The last thing I want is to set up a wick where the we get rain and it seals back up, but then I have this tree branch sucking moisture out of the ground and breathing it out into the air. <laughs> I don't want that happening. Right, either. right. So I got to break it off low enough that the ground will seal over the top and bury these things. Well, which brings me to, you know, when, when, when people, when we get a big drought like this and, and people are seeing big cracks in their yard or landscape, wherever in their yard, um, do you attribute that to that I have a lot of clay in my soil and because it's been drying out, it really contracts and opens up those? I, I guess I'm asking because if you have a really well um, oh, composted organic soil, lots of leaf litter on top of that, you know, pulling the leaf litter off to say, do I have cracks under here? Do you generally see cracks in a situation like that where you've really been able to work the soil, maybe get a lot of good organic matter in there and, uh, and mulch? Do you see cracks in those areas? We have the perfect lab for that because we have areas of the food forest that are nothing but the exact same mode field that they've been for 20 plus years mm-hmm. and then areas that we have turned into these guilds and that we started we were planting stuff eight years ago yesterday actually was cool the, really the oh my off. word yeah <laughs> yeah eight years ago yesterday wow. you and i were both there what a trip yeah. what a trip <laughs> and so we were planting stuff and getting it started so there are areas that there that spot where we've been working on the soil for for eight years um and i can tell uh, the differences in the areas I could go in and, and I have been looking for cracks within the guilds themselves mm-hmm. and they're beginning to be some but they're only maybe three inches deep or something like that it's not these two foot cracks that I have out in the lawn areas mm. the other proof of the pudding that I have on that one is that the aronia we've had aronia berry all over the site there were different aronia shrubs all over the place And the ones that were on the edges of the guild, half in the guild, half right next to these lawn areas, I think at this point, all, every last one of those ones has died. The ones that are within the guilds themselves are living. Um, I will probably give them some hardcore water at this point. At Uh this point, what we're doing, we're getting ready for winter. And if the drought continues, and we've already getting we're already getting freezes. Then the water's off, and there's no chance for me to water after uh, the water turns off. Mm-hmm. So I need to water stuff in October, so that it can last through November. Now, luckily, it breathes out a whole lot less. It loses its leaves. It barely breathes anything at all in the winter. Right. But it's so I'm 
I'm not watering things that I'm like, you're done, you're dead, maybe you'll come back in the spring, I don't know, we cut you short, we stuck your branches down in the cracks. Um, But if something looks like, hey, you've made a decent effort, you're really trying, but I can tell that you're stressed, I wanna water those ones deeply so that just to help them and hold them so that they can last until knock on wood, we get some decent snow this winter. Heck yeah. And and when you say deep water, you're probably not just setting a hose down on the ground next to the shrub. Are you are you setting up any sort of little sprinklers or anything like that to, to deep soak that? Um, no, I tend to do more of the hose on the ground in part because I don't want to get water on the leaves. They don't drink anything from their leaves. Uh-huh. And, and I don't want them to get last minute sun scald. Um, but also with the hose, I'm able to largely time it. The general hose out there is putting out, I want to say three gallons a minute when I looked it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I need to double check that number. I've done such, we're, we're about to put in, we have a wonderful Eagle Scout working with us and we're about to put in a water area. So I've been looking up gallons per minute on all kinds of things and I might have that hose. We, it might be 10 gallons yes. a minute out of a hose. I might I'd be totally off because I've looked at this number for so many different That's things That's funny. Um, but anyway, I, I, at what I timed out, what I figured out was like, okay, if I time it for a minute and a half um, coming out of, of what's coming out of my hose, um, then that's pretty solid for a small herbaceous plant. For a tree or a shrub, I might let it go five or 10 minutes to like really push some water down there. I don't want to create so much water that it's just running off. Right. I, I only want it to be sinking in. So the second it starts to like form a puddle or look quite full, that's done. Okay, mm-hmm. so you've gotten what can sink there. And I have dug little divots near a bunch of things so that I'm, I am creating puddles on purpose. Oh, I see. the water in in one spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, one thing I've noticed too, like just watering some new things, the, the soil's so dry, you know, I planted some things and I'm not, I never get in the mood to plant much when it's this dry, but you know, I'm, I got these yeah. plants and I had to stick them in and soil was really dry, blah, blah, blah. But then when I, when I watered, you know, it's hard for that water to really absorb. Uh, it's so dry, mm-hmm. right? It's, it, it, uh, yeah. oh, the capillary action doesn't work very well. So I'm like going, ah, annoying because when I, put the water on my plant it was all running away from my plant so i'm like all right <laughs> shut the water yeah. off take the time to make your little uh oh, what do i call that you know when you're kind of making a moat around your plant you know so you can kind of yeah. f- fill up that so m- make a little little dam around your plant each individual plant and what's cool molly is you can make that dam as wide as you want right i was just putting yeah. in oh these these were little daylily divisions whatever and so i only had you know maybe a 12 inch wide moat and it wasn't very hard to do, people. You know, you lip, you, you raise your soil, kind of like dam the soil around the plant for about, an, oh, an inch or two. And eventually that just disappears through rain and watering and whatnot. But, boy, it really helps when you're trying to get a plant established. And, and inside that moat, you can put a couple of inches of wood chips or a couple of inches of grass clippings or straw, leaves, whatever, uh, to help uh, bring that plant along as you're getting established because, again, as dry as it is, heck, I, I would even say if I'm planting a bunch of things, Molly, I'm probably even going to set up uh, some sort of sprinkler on that bare soil, you know, a day or two or three before I plant. Uh, yes. that, that way, you know, I'm softening it up a little bit because, uh, yikes. Where I'm at, Molly, uh, the city <laughs> came in and did 
a bunch of construction work. And so you know how it is when you inherit that. And I'm like, oh, great. Oh, and all the lovely bee soil. Uh, I have made actual pottery from soil out of the right? ground here. <laughs> I believe <laughs> it. It's put behind an apartment building where I was living. Right. And took out chunks. And I was like, that's pure clay. Uh, I went over and collected it, let it dry, let it dry the whole way, all the way, which might take six months or so. And then when you add it to water, it starts powdering up and dissolving into the water pretty easily. Wow, wow, wow. And then you let that dry down, and then you could start making pots with it. <laughs> now, it has a horrible shrink swell, so it's not like these are pots that are going to hold water, but it's just right? fun that's when fun. you play with a kid. Like, that's... <laughs> I'm not going to do that with my soil. I can tell you that, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure you're right. But I, but I, as I was digging these, I'm like going, man, in a perfect world, because you know, I just built a, one a bed a couple years ago, and now I'm just not into cracking that soil. But man, in a perfect world, I'd go out there with my spade, water it maybe, and then just go out there and kind of open it up a little bit. So uh, the next mm -hmm. time, my water can go down. But it's going to be a process, and I can tell you, you just we, we've been busy, and you know, I'm hoping October uh, buys me some time, and then I'll be out there in November. I don't care. I'll you know, soil oh, prep. Oh, I love that's, November. Yeah, that's a great thing about soil prep is um, you can be bundled up, and you're, you're not going to sweat. <laughs> you you're know? not going to sweat. No, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it's bundle up. Weather. Yeah, no doubt. That, that's my favorite time to work the soil, and then uh, you know, then she's ready for you in the spring. But anyway, so yeah, it's so going to make it bare in the fall do cover it with some level of mulch you know that but I'm just saying that for the listeners yeah yeah for yeah. sure for sure it is uh, it is imperative that you do and you know and, and of course we want to leave some bare soil for, for our critters or, or, or you know ground nesting bees and wasps and things like that which is cool um, mm -hmm. we should all have that too and we and I do at home but yeah well anyway um, that's going to be a process so all right, so yeah. water water now. And Molly, do you ever use for uh, deep watering, um, you know, some people get the drip irrigation and that has the little, uh, oh, it has in like the, the hose and then it has little um, hoses connected to that so the little emitters go to an individual plant. And then there's another type of drip irrigation where the hose is uh well maybe a 50 foot length and it and it, it's black and it looks it has all sorts of pores in it so it literally looks like it's sweating or dripping right yeah. when, you, when you turn it on is that's the one i prefer i don't know which one you like to use if you, if you do use your drip irrigation um i don't use it at the food forest but when i have used irrigation in the past i agree with you what i find with that second type is that you have to have steady water pressure for mm -hmm. sure to get it all the way to the end of the hose. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be of a more durable material. The kind where the water is coming out at the individual emitters is often so thin that in a drought like this, you'd be getting mice biting holes in it to get to that water. Uh -huh. All over the I've spent far enough. I've mm. spent enough of my life plugging those holes fixing <laughs> 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 I've heard that from others and I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't even think of that. I was thinking more like, you know, those little emitter lines eventually get clogged up due to hard water, right? If I remember right too. That's another issue and, and that's another issue. Yeah. But usually by then they're so full of round rodent holes. Right. <laughs> So people, you know, and I see people use drip a lot, and some people spend a lot of money when they get that stuff installed, and I just kind of cringe when I hear they have that, because then they'll usually, like their sprinkler system, they'll set their landscape where it gets dripped once a week, their soil never really dries out, and the plants end up struggling. 
because it's it's overwatered even even with drip irrigation. So, um, you know that the great thing about that soaker hose, um, I think that's what I can call it, right? A soaker hose. Yeah, um, that's what I would call it. One, they're cheap. You know, um, or should yeah. I say inexpensive? They're very, relatively inexpensive, and the key is, you know, if they're exposed to the sunlight and air and 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 all the elements, sure they can get brittle and and you know not last as long. And, and generally what I do, Molly, is I'll lay it down temporarily rather than leaving it there. So I'll lay it down yeah. where I want it, crank it on maybe for a half a day, you know, monitor it every once in a while, go back, say you're working in the garden or whatever, and then you can go back and it maybe has soaked the soil up around, oh, what would you say, two feet wide at the most, uh, 18 inches, at two feet moment. wide, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And then you know, okay, cool. Uh, you know, I, I, I put some good water down, my plants are happy, and then now I'm going to pick this up and move it to the next section and do the same thing. And, and then when I'm done, I'm going to roll my hose up and put it back in the garage so it doesn't get exposed to the elements. Some people will cover it in mulch, I know. I realize that. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, then you tend to yeah. space it off and you know cut into it when you're planting and <laughs> you know what i mean yeah been there done that absolutely um i want to circle back you mentioned the critters the ground nesting bees a mm-hmm. few minutes ago mm-hmm. and i want to circle back to that because that's a huge part of fall prep for me um leaving enough of the flowers up the dead flowers to ride through the winter they make neat textures they're kind of fun to watch the snow pile on them but leaving those up so that the stem nesting bees can live through there in the winter. A lot of our native bees are very, fairly solitary, and a lot of them really like to go into those cat, the the pits, the the middle spongy bit of the stem uh-huh. on a lot of our native plants. So everything from elderberry and raspberry on the woody end of the spectrum to the wild bergamot, the mountain mint, um, golden rods. Oh, yes. Iron reeds. Yeah. Yep. All of those things. Cool, cool. So they climb into the stems of those for the winter. And then in the spring, I might take the actual dead flower heads off so I can put their, you know, any seed that's left in them somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to like let them come up. But I'll try to leave between just over my ankle to just over my knee worth of stem standing up in the spring so that when the bees emerge, and by spring I mean the violets and dandelions are coming on, mm-hmm. um, the so that when the bees come out of where they have been overwintering, they actually have a fresh nesting cavity, cavity that's been created by me clipping off of the actual deadheaded flowers, and they'll go in, they like them better vertical. They've done studies now, and they the Xerces Society is saying... Mm-hmm. They won't use the horizontal stems as much. They like the vertical ones, even though you and I, I look at it and I'm like, but the rain would get in and don't seem to care. Right. They seem to seal it off or have their t- their trick for that. Interesting. And that okay. lets them get in there for the summer and raise a brood. And then we have our native bees are such marvelous pollinators. They don't get the credit that they deserve. Yeah, that, those are all great points, and uh, you know, and it, it, you know, we're all kind of used to when we're trained by clean it up in the spring, blah blah blah, and you know the, you know, it is a look, <laughs> folks. You have to kind of just it becomes a look where you like, you know, 
whatever, I'll, I'll put up with it. You know, you have your bee balm coming up and maybe the little plants are only an inch out of the ground and you have the, the dead stems from last year up to around your, like you said, knee high, shin, you know, a little taller than your knee, let's say 18 inches, whatever. And and you can be happy saying, okay, I got bee homes and, and literally in another three weeks, those stems are going to be completely covered by the new growth mm-hmm. this year. And you won't even yeah. know those stems are there anymore uh, until you exactly. see a, a cute little bee hovering at the, at the top of it and going, oh, look, look, it worked. One's <laughs> it actually works. using it. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I remember doing that last year. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Sochan, which is, uh, oh, poo, um, cut leaf coneflower, the big, tall, mm-hmm. uh, golden glow, blah, blah, blah. And I planted it at home. Actually, I didn't plant it. It showed up because we prob- I was probably collecting the seed heads for dried arrangements, and a seed found its way there. And I'm like, oh, cool, I'll just leave you here because it's an aggressive plant, big boy, and it's kind of in a spot where the, it's surrounded by turf on one side, and then the other side, it really has nowhere to go because it's very shady in there, so it doesn't want to be in there. So it's just kind of mm. staying put. And uh, last this spring, you know, I, I left those stems up probably two and a half feet, and, uh, you know, and it... I thought it actually had a pretty cool look with the lush green growth coming up and those dead stems coming up above that lush green look. Yeah. And, yeah, and then eventually covered them, you know, and uh, and then I pinched them back because that plant will get, you know, six, seven feet tall, and I have it on the edge where I don't want it that tall. So I just mm-hmm. c- cut it back by 50%, and the darn thing bloomed, oh, right at, I'd say right at four feet high, perfect. And the pollinators... Gorgeous. You know, pollinators uh, love that plant, so they were all over it. And, uh, yeah, I'm sitting there going, okay, cool, this worked. So yep. there's a, yep. a a place for any plant is what I like to tell people. It might be aggressive for you. <laughs> it might be too tall for you. Whatever. You can work with it. You won't you can. face things. You can work with it. And that's mulch. So that's your that's your summer mulch. You spend all June cutting back the ones that you don't want to have be quite so tall. So make them, you know, make the rough leaf cone flowers shorter, make the rosin weeds shorter, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that you need to cut back. And then there's your, there's your mulch for the summer vegetable garden beds where you're laying these things down and they're, it's beautiful. It just works so perfectly. It does. I Nature like that. keeps handing us what we need. Heck yeah. And another thing that does, Molly, because they're so green and supple, you know, they're wilting within hours, right? And then they kind of exactly. they kind of uh, hug the ground. And then those little tiny weeds that are germinating, a.k.a., uh, uh, oh, poo, the name, like um, crabgrass and foxtail, the, the inevitable fall, yeah. fall annoyance weeds where you're like, going, <laughs> uh, if I just would have kept the ground covered, they wouldn't have germinated. And so... They wouldn't even have germinated. Yeah. Yep. So... Um, boom, people, it's very easy to do. I agree. I, you know, I'm always doing that with plant material I cut back. I don't take it back to the compost. I'm like, I don't want to say it's laziness, but it kind of is. And then, and, and number two, <laughs> right, and number two, I'm just like, I don't need to, you know, and, I don't need to. In fact, there Pat, you if you're listening, much to her chagrin, I'm, I'm usually like our compost bin from in the house, our kitchen scraps, you know, I don't mm-hmm. always make it back to the compost. Sometimes I'll just kind of dump it beside a shrub or dump it beside here and there. But I make sure it's out of sight, too. You know what I mean? Uh, but oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, I feel like I'm feeding the pig all over the yard, you know, um, which is my soil, people. Not, the, not I don't have a the, pot. the fancy word is just in situ. Oh, no, I'm composting in situ. In situ. I like that. There you go. That sounds better. That sounds better yeah. than feeding the pig, I must admit. All right, Molly, I, I'm looking at the clock. I'm going to keep you on the line. 
And okay. I'll take a break here, and uh, we'll come back and chat some more in this fastest hour in the radio. Absolutely the fastest. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today, Molly. I'll be back right after this. All right, that is Molly Femister. She is with Southern Heights Food Forest. You can check out the Southern Heights Food Forest at 40th and Old Cheney and uh, at the Southern Heights uh, Presbyterian Church, just on the south side of that. Stop by, say hi to Molly. Stop by, check out the garden. Check out all the cool things. The trees growing there are doing great. Eight years ago today was when the first planting took place. My, how time flies. All right, I'll be right back right after this. Keep it right there. This is KZUM Lincoln. Oh, that is the derailers doing a song called Corn Picking. Just a little bit of that going on in Nebraska right here, right now. Getting the corn picked out there in the fields. Soybeans getting harvested. It's that time of year, people. Hey, I have Molly Femister on the show. She is with Southern Heights Food Forest. Thank you again, Molly, for joining me today. Always a fun conversation. And one of these days we're going to be chatting on the phone and, and the drought's going to be busted. And I, I look forward to that day. <laughs> and, yeah, and, party. Right? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so people do your rain dance, do whatever it takes. Do, you know, prayers, thoughts, whatever. Uh, Hang out the laundry to dry. Right? Yeah, <laughs> leave, leave your windows down, put out the laundry. We've been trying all those things. It ain't working, man. No, but uh, we, did, we did get a call on the line before, uh, during the break there. Uh, Molly, uh, we have Troy on the line. Troy, is are you there, kiddo? Hey. Hello, yeah. how you doing? Um, well, it's better not to ask. Um... Uh, two and a half years of remission. Um, anyway, uh, the reason I'm calling is that I stopped out to uh, one of my favorite haunts uh, that's in CSA, uh, hoping, really hoping, because I hadn't had breakfast to get a really delicious uh, chocolate brownie. Uh-huh. But the only ones that were there were two kids bug uh, corgis. Uh, but me being a Boy Scout, uh, I don't steal things. Huh. Okay, so Troy, where are... <laughs> borrowing them, but I bought some okay. asparagus, uh-huh. and uh, they're in packs, uh, and I wanted to know how deep I should plant these, oh. um, you know, because regular asparagus roots, you plant like a foot deep. Uh-huh. Should I plant these like six or eight inches deep? Okay, Troy, so I, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. Are you saying you got some bare root asparagus plants or you got some divisions from somebody? Or I, I got some potted uh, ones that I think that they um, gathered from the edge of their asparagus plants. I see, and then they stuck them in pots and the plants, uh, how long have they been in the pots? Have they been growing there all summer or they just did it? Um, I would say, well, they're in good condition, yeah. so I don't know if my guess is, it or what. Yeah, my but. guess is if they had dug them, just dug them and stuck them in a pot, they'd be wilting by now, especially with a lot of top growth, you know, unless they cut them down to stubs. 
Um, right, Molly? Wouldn't you say the same thing? That they'd, I agree. They'd wilt immediately yeah. and, or turn brown. So they must have been in that pot for a while. Yeah, yeah Troy. They are, they are growing through the bottoms of the <laughs> uh, three-inch pot. Well, let's say this, Troy. Uh, in that pot, the, the plant was probably stuck in that pot the same depth it was planted. Um, so I'm thinking you would plant it at the same depth that it uh, that that is in the pot, right? You don't, you know, you wouldn't plant it uh, deep like 12 inches deep. Those are the bare root crowns, because the crown of that uh, plant, right, Molly, is what you would have to be looking for. I would be a, a little suspicious about digging it too deep, because again, if they dug okay. it at ground level, where you know where that plant was coming out of the pot, you know what I'm saying? Where the same level at the uh-huh. is the top of the pot. Um, you know, you, you might be doing the plant a disservice by sticking it down a little lower. I guess it wouldn't hurt to put it an inch or two lower um, a little bit and then just kind of mulching over the top of that. But what's your right. take, Molly? True. That's exactly where I'm at. So I was going to say, if, he just said three-inch pot. So I'm thinking you probably want to go an inch or two deeper than that. Oh, it's only a three-inch pot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what I heard him just say. Yeah, so you probably run it, you know, run a little bit deeper than that, but I wouldn't put it more than about... Six or eight okay. inches deep at the most. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Probably six inches would be plenty. Okay. Yeah, and then water, water it good. Get it set in nice, and don't eat from it next year. Right. Let it send oh, its no, roots huh? down. Yeah. yeah, and they're not drought tolerant the first year. So you, if we have yeah. a drought again next year, knock on wood, we don't. But if we do, you need to water it through the summer next year too. Heck yeah. Okay. Heck yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, very good. Thank you. Thanks, Troy. Yeah, we'll chat about that a little bit. Thank you, sir. All right. There are some wonderful fall uh, edibles still coming. There are uh, some people do get a second flush on their um, on their asparagus, mm, but I'm just mm. thinking yeah, persimmons are still to come, and aronia uh-huh. is still to come because I wait for the the frost to take the astringency out of there. I'm I don't with think you. any amount of sugar overrides. The, the I'm with you. The way the frost does. <laughs> I agree, and and not only that, you know, the plant has a, a chance hanging on. You know, just like any vine ripened fruit, uh, it hanging on that shrub longer. Um, I feel forms more complex sugar uh, in that yes. plant. You know, right? And then, then like you said, the yeah. light freeze reduce. We have our eyes on some. Yes, we are definitely. We just checked them last week to see because sometimes you know the the fruit, you know, hanging on that shrub. What from late July, August, something like that, and then hanging on that long and still not falling or shriveling up and dying is pretty impressive. And, uh, <laughs> you know, really yeah, it is. And so we went and, and kind of uh, did a scouting report for our, our honey hole for Aronia Berry, and uh, they're looking good, lots of fruit on them, and I'm not seeing any shriveling on the, on the fruit yet. So I'm with you, Molly. We like waiting late, and I'll see people harvesting it in late August, and I'm like, uh, okay, you have fun with that. I'm, I'm going to wait because I got other things to harvest in late August. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> so, the but, other one that's still coming at the food forest, our walnuts are pretty much gone, and our hmm. pawpaw. Yeah, we've we've already finished our pawpaw season, but our chestnuts are still to come. Uh-huh. And with mm-hmm. chestnuts, until that horrific vicious little hedgehog ball <laughs> opens it's not right like you're it's not ready don't try to crack it open right wait and it will open itself it will tell you when it's ready and nobody's going in there early because they just hurt too much right they but, are something but then else it's worth it they, Ooh, they right? are something else 
And and I suppose really if it, you know if you, you kind of scratch your head and go and dude, why bother when it comes to that tree? It's like, well, I don't want those little pesky critters eating my seed before it's ripe. Well, then then yep. then you open up that spiny husk and say, here, take one that is, you know. So you know, come on, man, why are you putting that spiny husk around that that seed, right? And then it and then it cracks open to reveal the nice ripe nut, right? <laughs> the gorgeous nut, and frankly, the inside is velvety from right. that point of view. It's had this velvet cushion that's yes. been rising around. Right? It's going, you <laughs> no try idea. falling, you try falling from a 70-foot tree and being okay, right? You know, it's like, I'll yeah, just, really. I'll just grow myself, a, yeah, it's it's as soft as a baby's yeah. bottom. It's really cool, and, you know, yeah, I'm glad course. you mentioned that because we checked on the chestnuts. Usually, I'm able to harvest, or close to, around the third week in September, like, I want to say the 20th, 24th, blah, blah, blah. Well, here we are sitting October 4th, and the chestnuts aren't ready yet. I would say it's They're a little, little later than normal, wouldn't you? It, yeah, and a lot of things are running earlier than normal, but this year the chestnuts are running later than normal. So, Go figure. Okay. Go, Go figure. <laughs> yeah, so when people ask, you're like going, well, it depends. And, and oh, they hate that answer, but, you know, it does. They it, do. you know, you, it, I think it's just they a matter do. of going out there and checking things and observing. But yeah, I do have my yeah. my eyeballs on some chestnuts as well. So uh, we all got to have some chestnuts over an open fire. And for me personally, I like I like just growing them. They're fun to grow. and uh, Yeah, they're gorgeous little trees. Yeah, gorgeous little well seedlings. Big. Fun, fun. Yeah. Fun, fun. The other one that's out there, while you're waiting for your chestnuts to come in, we're getting into the season when we can start collecting the big acorns. Yes. And, and the acorns around here, we have swamp white and burr oak are generally our biggest two acorns. And those are flower acorns. Now, there are other parts of the country where you might roast them whole like nuts or smash them for the oil, and they're tiny. But the ones around here are good for flour, which means... You need to be patient and do the cold leaching technique because if you hot leach to get the tannins out, then whatever you make with the flour from the hot leaching is going to crumble and fall apart. Mm. It, so you want to do the cold leaching technique, which is usually, frankly, put them in a pillowcase in the tank portion of your toilet, um, not the you know not you know. the business end, just the, like <laughs> where the fresh water is going. Through. Uh-huh. And leave them in there for a couple of weeks and just let it flow through. Let it, it could even be as short as a week or so. You could you test it yourself. But cold leaching, these ch- these acorns will get you a beautiful flour. You can mix it, substitute out about half the wheat flour in your recipe and mm. add them. And you're adding proteins and fats and nutrients and just wonderful health. Uh, to your to any of your muffins or biscuits that you might be making, they make good pancakes. They don't make a good loaf of bread. That's not going to work. <laughs> but <laughs> but things that you're already expecting to have be you know short and not because they don't have the gluten. They're not going to form gluten strands gotcha. and, and fluff up like you would want a nice artisanal bread to do. You know, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned pancakes too. The only product I made with it, a friend brought me like it was like a quart jar, and I remember making pancakes out of them. And uh, like you said, I think I substituted 50% for the flour or whatever. And they were like buckwheat pancakes. If you've ever had buckwheat mm-hmm. pancakes, people, it's like, you know, uh, a, a, a pancake with substance, you know, a pancake yeah. as a pancake should be, you know, none of that, you know, fluffy stuff, right? You know, oh, I know it's pillow soft. We all love oh, those wow. too. But, you know, I, Molly, I'm glad you're so glad you mentioned the acorns because we were out collecting yesterday in an area where... I mean, it was a mast year, and uh, nothing drives me more mm-hmm. crazy than have to leave because you run out of time. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and, you know, I mean, you, you just got to learn not to look down anymore, you know, because you'll never get out of there because, oh, there's one, there's one, there's one. I mean, they were <laughs> the, the chinkapin oaks, uh, masting, the, the, the red oaks, um, the, the burrs, you know, everybody. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And a lot of people's favorite stopping point for acorns, folks, is at the line of swamp white oaks along uh, Woods Park there. And driving by, it's definitely not a mast year there this year, but there's a lot of uh, swamp white oaks are in and around Lincoln Planet all over the place. So you can find them, knock on a neighbor's door, ask for permission to harvest. I agree, uh, Molly, that we all need to take advantage of that, me included, and get out there. And this is a great time of year. What can I forage, right? Well, acorns mm -hmm. is it. And, you know, you can go online, right, Molly? I, I like your method of putting it in the, the back of the toilet there to, to uh, take advantage of the water flowing across it. From what I read, Native Americans would do, they just put it in a pouch in a running stream. So you got a freshwater same, stream. Yep. Yeah, stream concept. And, you know, that freshwater stream never froze in the wintertime. So they were able to kind of, you know, pull it up and, and take it out of there as needed and put it back in there and, and uh, always had nice uh, preserved acorns that way. Or, of course, you can make it into a flower right away and preserve it that way. But man, oh man, we all, acorns used to feed the world. And acorns used to feed the world. Yeah. Oh my goodness, people do not understand how much we owe the oak tree. And I think it's, that we'd all appreciate wonderful. them more if we utilize them. And uh, no, we know we're not talking about the pin oak. And you know, red oak has pretty big acorns too, but they're more astringent, right? They're more um, bitter than they. Uh, they're more bitter, and they're higher in oils. Okay. Um, some of the folks are starting to do things like. Uh, crack them for the oil and try to get the oak oil uh -huh. out of there. Turns out to be a lot of work. They're still figuring out how to do it <laughs> in a way that's, you know, bang for the buck and productive. Uh -huh. But I, I hear it's really flavorful stuff. No doubt. Me too. And I know I've been online before there's a YouTube video out there for everything, people. So you can find YouTube <laughs> videos on, and everybody's going to have their own tried and true method of leaching acorns, and uh, the you know the easy way and the best way, and blah blah blah. But cold leaching is key, and I agree. And, and uh, you know, and and that oil part, I know I've seen a YouTube video where somebody talked about just the home the home person like you and I uh, being able to extract that oil, but I can't quite recall off the top of my head how that was done if we need fancy equipment or anything like that i don't think so but don't probably me. not i would look for sam thayer if somebody wants to track down yeah. the oil side of it look for sam thayer he writes all the edible wild stuff books you'll ever need no doubt that dude yeah. that <laughs> he's it. amazing and get this i yeah. heard you know, like a hickory oil is another kind of marketable thing yeah. and you know the bitter nut hickory um the nut is too small the nut meat not enough for us to crack and eat and it's very bitter but that bitterness is taken away in the extraction of the oil i can't remember how yes. but well the tannins are not the tannins are are and the oils are soluble two different ways okay so they don't they don't come out the same way at the same time gotcha Gotcha. Yeah. So, so that's the best use of bitternut hickory. And down south, you can actually, well, you can actually go online and order hickory oil right now if you want to. But be prepared. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be a cheap buy. That's for it's sure. It's not a cheap buy. <laughs> it is not a cheap buy. But it is, it is worth it. It is fun. It is an unusual gift for the holidays. Yes. Something nobody else will have thought of. Amen. you got any, like, hoodie types in your, in your repertoire for the holidays. Like, no doubt. They would love something like that. There's one more fall plant edible trick that you taught me um, that I don't see enough people like excited about yet, but the 
the husks that come off the pecans and the hickories, mm-hmm. adding those to the smoker for the hickory flavor because mm-hmm. they will add, they will get that, they have all the oils in them. And so you add them into the smoker over the grill or whatever, and you can really infuse your foods with some amazing hickory yum, edges. Yum, yum. Amen. Totally. And, and get this. The, 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 <laughs> all you were going to do was compost. Right. The dude that's in, in charge of uh, the, the, the union uh, food services on East Campus, UNL East Campus and City Campus. So mm-hmm. a, a fella told me, he's like, hey, uh, I told this guy you might have some hickory husks uh, that he can use to smoke his meat. And I was like, okay, cool. So I just, he said, just look for the big guy, right? So I went in there and said, hey, uh, uh, I, I, want, I need to talk to the, the head chef or whatever. And, and uh, oh yeah, that's, that's Joe over there, whatever his name was, right? So I said, hey, I got all these hickory husks and told him about the situation that you could use them for smoking meat. And he said, yeah, bring them on over. And it had been probably about a year since I bumped into him again. And uh, UNL was having this welcome back people function and so I saw him and I came up and asked him are you using those hickory husks and he said oh yeah yeah they were great we really love them and I said you want more <laughs> and he said by all means because I have a big bag for him so anyway that's pretty pretty cool to to be able to say somebody's using it in more of a commercial sense yes yes more of a commercial sense and the university beginning to be able to feed itself Right. I think this is the wave of the future. Is some of the universities are thinking, wait a minute, we have some land. Right. Like, let's do this. We can. Why are we paying to ship delicate things when we can grow the delicate things right here? And we got something called horticulture students, don't we? I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we do. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, we, we're we're out of time, and that's a whole other subject. That's a whole other ball game, kid. That's like an hour long conversation. Well, Molly, we are out of time. I so much appreciate you uh, calling in today and chatting with me, and and uh, we'll be back to the and and folks visit the Southern Heights Food Forest. It's a great time of year to go visit, and uh, just know that eight years ago today. Uh, the first plants went in the ground. So that's pretty impressive. That was, it was delightful to get started, and it's amazing how much it's changed since. What a trip. Yeah, what well, a trip. Thank you, Bob. All right, thank you, Molly. You take care, and we'll see you sometime in the future here. You betcha. All right, have, you a, betcha. Talk have a great... You soon. Pray for rain, would you? Well, <laughs> pray for rain, absolutely. <laughs> All right. All right, bye-bye, Molly. All right, bye-bye. All right, that is Molly Femister. Southern Heights Food Forest Coordinator right here on How's It Growing. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be back next week right here. Lucinda Mays, one of my favorite guests also on the program next week. Looking forward to a chit-chat with Lucinda. Until then, you have a great week. Get out there and love those plants.